nearly December, so there's probably going to be a beer in front of me every day of December. Why the hell not? Boys, here we are. Trav. It's like the Matty yeah. Michael advent calendar. Yeah. You open a beer every day at lunchtime. <laughs> Same beer. I'm on the dingo now. I'm, I'm converting. Yeah, you're a convert, mate. I'm converting from the swan, I think. Supporting wow. WA liquor. Good on you, mate. All for spinner, because tell you what, that bloke's a GC. <laughs> anyway. Mate, Trav, you can disclose the AGM you were at yesterday. I can, I can indeed. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that one. It was, um, I think the most, yeah, action packed or exciting or you know the biggest AGM on my calendar that I wanted to attend. It was the AVZ AGM. Uh, three very talked about letters <laughs> in mining these days, <laughs> A, V, and Z. Yeah. Right, a couple of REM reports got voted down. You boys are going to hone in on who, which shareholders didn't like what the bosses were getting paid. We sure are. Um, yeah. What, well, JD, you've gone uh, you go heading across to Europe, our European man. Yeah, we're going to touch on uh, the Critical Raw Materials Act, which got a bit of an update and it relates to an ASX company as well, so we'll tie that in. And then we're going to get into Minres and their confirmation of Bold Hill. They, they've kept it awfully quiet on their front, but we're not going to stay quiet on it. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with... Bit of an update on the situation at Cobra Panama. Mm, that re- critical raw materials act. I had a good read of that this morning. So, is... <laughs> did you? I, I feel like no, that's a no. lie. <laughs> of course not. That's what you're here for, JD. <laughs> oh, boys, bit of underground carnage to start with. Check this. Uh, this out. is what you're here for. <laughs> have, a, have a look at that. What is that? Do you know what's happened there? I Just headbutt the microphone, JD. I that. That's no a bloody, idea. that's a reamer bit just and with mesh because of the rotation, just if you're bloody scaling or yeah. something and the rotation just grabs it and oh, tip for the shit. jump operators out there. If you want to get out of that, reverse rotation your way back out. That's not something she'll, you'd be familiar with. She'll unwind. That was Maddie in the first few years before <laughs> I developed the craft. Now that mesh there is possibly an old piece of DSI mesh. That has ah. been just wound up, gotcha, and just absolute carnage. I hope you've got a, a better analogy than a band aid this time, Matty. Yeah, mate. Oh, mate. Because look, we've talked about them before. De- like leading supplier of ground support for the underground mining industry. We've give, I'll give the catalogue. We've got mate. They got split sets. They got gooey bolts, MD bolts, MDX bolts. They're the super bolts, cable bolts, and lads, mesh, mesh. Mesh, just bloody normal mesh. They've got woven mesh, chicken wire mesh, mesh straps, bloody mesh everywhere. That probably used to be their mesh. But DSI, I actually see a bit of a parallel between DSI and Brooks Airways. Tell Can me you that. see how that one's going to tie oh, together? Get the job Mate, done. DSI have <laughs> products to support... The absolute shittest ground you can find. Like Brooks ah, can land on the shittest airways. Well done. DSI have well done. Can like essentially they take shit ground. Yeah. And their products can turn it into good enough ground to walk under. 
Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> nah, pretty real good, actually. Yeah. But there's always the factor of the jumbo operator putting the bolt in. DSI don't actually supply the jumbo operator that comes with the bolt. So there's a bit of variability who you who you get there sometimes. You'd say you'd say DSI, I'm I'm do it. DSI, you can use these slogans in you want if you want. DSI provide frontline ground support for frontline jumbo operators. <laughs> but they also provide frontline ground support for real shit jumbo operators. <laughs> what I, a service, boys. I gotta say what mate. a bloody service to the underground mining industry. You've done well there. Mate, they're all across Australia. They're bloody we've got to go to Qdale in Perth to get our bloody split set from the manufacturing facility. They got one in Newcastle, Brisbane. No, have a look at the bloody have a look at the joint. Have a look at the innovation, the technology. No backyard bloody workshop shed here. She's uh, she's pretty impressive. It's like a so. robot factory. Oh, mate. And tell you what, heading up to Christmas, trucks and planes and shit going everywhere. Like, you know, you can never get your mail. <laughs> I would recommend to mining companies, get in early and chuck in another DSI order because you don't <laughs> want to run out of that shit. You know, doesn't that piss everyone off when you've got no bolts and mesh on site? Big time. Well done, mate. Now, now, a bloke that isn't pissed off in the industry, Seamus Murphy. <laughs> Never. He's like... He's happy. He's smiley. He's got a good smile. He's happy anytime, anywhere, mate. <laughs> they announced last week, Anytime Exploration, they've... They now got geological consulting services. We've got you got Sarah Dye here. Look at her. Look at her with big Seamus. Bloody look at the handshake. <laughs> she looks like she's got a good handshake. She you does. never trust a person with a piss poor handshake, boys. I trust Sarah. Mate, they can do Sarah can pump out a jork report now. Yep. You might even get a picture of Seamus in it. But mate, they're all over it. So, mate, big Seamus is He's putting the call out to the companies again, leading up to Christmas. Get your exploration in order. Get your get your affairs in order, mate. Anytime they can sort out their your exploration incentive scheme applications, because that sounds a pain in the ass, um, <laughs> mate. That's where the government matches your spend on your drilling and your assays. Mate, mm. compliance reporting, data analysis, and target generation. Like you know, when you read that stuff, you're like. Ugh. <laughs> That's what you got Seamus at any time exploration for. As we say, any time, anything, anywhere, any altitude, any uranium level, any day of the week, boys. Next time we read a um, an updated mineral resource, we always read back the front, which means we're reading the jork tables first. I'll be wondering, did Sarah from any time write this? Oh, no. I, I want to go straight to the back and just say <laughs> big picture of Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> Seamus, I will call out. I did talk to someone at the pub the other day a fan of the show, and they're like, look, I don't know Seamus Murphy, but I can't get him out of my head <laughs> after all the sponsorship. So it's bloody working. Love it. Righto, the AVZ, AGM, which I thought was supposed to be no media, <laughs> but how did you get in? Mate, when there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on that front. But um, I managed to get in there. I attended the AVZ AGM and um, there's a lot to unpack here. And to start with, I think I'll just talk about what was I expecting, right? Honestly, I don't even know what I was expecting. But I noticed a few things in the lead up to this AGM. Really, really, really engaged shareholder base um, 
attending this AGM and and rightfully so because ABZ obviously hasn't traded for a long time. A lot of shareholders care about um, what's going to happen from a, a governance perspective. There's a lot of other um, factors and influence involved. There's a, a bunch of it's, – it's a bloody shit show in, in some ways um, and it's hard to decipher what's uh, what's going on there. But it was it was the AGM of the, of the calendar to, to attend, I reckon, Maddie. And the things I noticed in the lead up, there were 22 resolutions up for vote at this AGM. 21 of them were related to the election or re-election of directors to the board of AVZ. And most of them were uh, – it was only three of them were election of current directors. Was no, that right? a, a couple more than couple that. A couple more. Um, but majority were yeah. election of new directors, people putting themselves forward. Correct. It's a staggering number <laughs> to see at an AGM. Um, I've never seen that many resolutions. No wonder you were so fucking late. Yes, waiting <laughs> for all the bloody resolutions to get passed. Is it two hours? Uh, yeah, over to our AGM. Um, so, also in the lead up, there was a coordinated effort uh, for three of those directors put up for nomination by a shareholder called Fat Tail Holdings. Those three shareholders being Peter Hewlich, Michael Carrick, and Ty Ludbrook. This coordinated effort appeared costly. There was a website titled "Make Monono Great Again." Oh, that yeah, yep. I only got that link sent to me ninety-five <laughs> times or something. There was online marketing, there were videos, all of that sort of stuff. It appeared like they had, you know, proxy solicitation firms involved, legal, the works. It was very, uh, very coordinated the campaign for those three directors, which three nominees, which I'll come back to later. The really interesting thing um, it was also revealed in the AFR that. Proxy advisor ISS recommended that Michael Carrick, so one of those three, be voted onto the board of AVZ, um, and AVZ's existing chair John Clark to be voted off. And both of those were resolutions which were contrary to the board's recommendation to shareholders. So they're, they're the things you notice in the lead up, right? I think those are the some of the important facts. The AGM was set to start at 2 p.m. at Novotel in East Perth. And I was walking over there and as I'm walking over there, I'm reading on my phone a link that was actually just like sent to me minutes before that. Um, and the the link is this article in the West, uh, um, which basically said that, you know, that it's going to be a closed door AGM, you're not allowed in. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I'm bloody walking there. It's like 40 degrees. I've like spent the last 15 minutes walking and it's like 40 degree heat. I'm like, don't it's all for nothing, bloody hell. Um, but Mate, I got in there. There's, when there's a wheel, there's a way, all right? There's, you know, Inspector Gadget style. Like KCA, mate. <laughs> no is not an option. <laughs> I was have a seat in the second row from the back, and unfortunately I missed the, the first um, little part of the AGM, but, but at least I got a seat, right? And there's one other important um, element of the proceedings, which is a little unorthodox for AGMs, and that's that everyone had to turn their phone off on the way in. Like there were big signs. You had to show that you were turning your phone off and you couldn't use it. No recordings, no cameras, nothing. It all had to be off during the AGM. And I hear it was, a, it was a pretty full house. I mean, AGMs are usually a bit of a snooze and there's maybe 15 people there. <laughs> if you're lucky, including, yeah. <laughs> yeah, God, <laughs> including the board. They should, have, they should have had it in the bunker at the White House. It sounds bloody um, yeah. that sort of level of intensity. This this one, the room was full, right? It was like, um, I think it was a South Bowl room. And there were 200 people in there. And, and most of them, you could see they had the blue sheep that already voted um, in the lead up. At the front row there, obviously facing everyone else, was the board of directors. You could see the middle two seats there up the front being Nigel Ferguson and the chair, John Clark. And sitting right next to the AVZ chair, I spotted big shot corporate lawyer James Nichols of DLA Piper. Um, in the crowd at the front right, you could you could see 
you know, there was a small contingent of what was immediately apparent to me as being the fat tail holdings contingent. Um, Michael Carrick was down there. Sitting amongst that contingent, I spotted another one of Perth's top corporate lawyers, Scotty Gibson of Thompson Greer amongst them. And to round it out in that fat tail contingent, I also spotted uh, Martin Bennett, Perth's um, top litigant in their, in their corner as well. Oh yeah, well, we know him. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the AGM, by the sounds of it, it feels more like a, you've gone into the Supreme Court. Mate, it was, yeah, I, even though it was an AGM, you're right, it felt like a courtroom. There was um, three of Perth's biggest names in law all there, which you'd never really see that at an AGM. And all of their associated minions of all of their representative law firms were there in their suits as well amongst the crowd. So that was the lay of the land. Now, let me tell you about the feel of the AGM, right? And, and I'm, I'm there as an outsider. I don't have shares. I don't have skin in the game. But just as an outsider, I'll tell you what it felt like. Have you ever been to Optus Stadium for a West Coast Eagles home game? Mm, I have. Fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> the way I describe it to any international listeners, if, there are, if they don't know what it is. When they're winning. Yeah, when, yeah, when they're winning. Yeah, you're right. Um, like sure there might be in the back corner like a small pocket of interstate supporters over in the corner, but there's an army of devout West Coast fans amongst you in the crowd all rooting for the same thing, cheering for their home team and booing the opposition. That's what the AGM felt like. The AVZ shareholders in that room appeared relatively united together. And And there were two things I thought they were united on. One being their support for the existing board and their strategy and the other one was their absolute disdain for the fat tail holdings contingent. Wow. There was serious hate in the room towards them. <laughs> was there much um, heckling? They're, they're absolutely not – I wouldn't say heckling. Not five-inch level? They're not, no, it wasn't. And the thing with five-inch, right, this is a really important difference I noticed. bloke. <laughs> yeah, but five-inch, right, the disdain in the room was towards the board. Yeah. The disdain in this room was not towards the board. It was towards the um, – People the, wanting to get on the board. Yeah, this like group of shareholders who the other shareholders didn't think were aligned with them. You told me somebody passed you a, uh, a party popper as well, mate. <laughs> 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 didn't get the chance to set that one off. They, 100%. But they did. They did. Uh, mate, I'm <laughs> sitting, sitting there, yeah, like in the second back row and, and, and the guys in the back row like, hey, mate, are you, are you pro board? And I was like, mate, I'm, I'm pro shareholder. Like, he passes me, take this. And he gives me um, a, a party popper. And um, he's like, yeah, when, when, when it's revealed in favour of the board, we're going to pop these together. It never happened. But um, anyway, I thought it was, that, that's an interesting thing. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, few other, um, a few other like observations and then I'll tell you the results, right? So a few other observations. The board's piece was heavily scripted and they stuck to that script. The fat tail contingent had their chance to ask questions. Michael Carrick was the only one of those nominated three directors to talk. But the questions um, were also dished up by what appeared to be their legal contingent. Martin Bennett asked plenty. Scotty Gibson um, piped in too. Which which side was Bennett on? Bennett, to me, appeared to be a representative of the fat tail contingent. Okay. Um, And to me, it didn't feel like their questions really landed. The crowd certainly wasn't impressed. The board let them ask as many questions as they wanted. Um, they'd referred to their, like, and whenever the board was asked questions, they just referred to their booklet of prepared answers to read from them. From time to time, you could see their lawyer, the board's lawyer, James Nichols, advising them pre-response. 
every word was clearly like very thoughtful about what to say and I think also what not to say. And when it came... Okay, so every time... So they were advised every, nearly every time they spoke in, yeah, a, there in was a way. Not, I wouldn't say every single time because there was a rehearsed... There was a booklet of responses to potential questions that ah, they were right. clearly referring to. And I think from time to time, you know, if, if something might have not been the booklet, there was a little bit of, you know, like... Um, we're also very, guidance. very prepared. Super prepared, right? Super, yeah. super prepared. Um, yeah, that was, that was just an observation. So when it came to the vote on the resolutions of the 21 directors up for election or re-election, um, the nominees actually weren't allowed to respond to the questions put forward by shareholders. M- my interpretation of the shareholders' line of questioning was that they were asking questions which were highlighting their dissatisfaction with the fat tail nominees. They'd, they'd ask questions and they'd kind of try and point out what they believed to be a bit of a, a flaw or an incompatibility with why those nominees should actually end up on the board. W- one shareholder literally made like five statements and then, um, you know, the chair was encouraging them to ask a question and he goes, statement, statement, statement. Um, and then he goes, and my question is, I don't have a question. And everyone just laughed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> although the, the board and the board actually, they, they allowed Michael Carrick to a right of reply when some questions related to him. Uh, I thought that was noteworthy. Here's a, here's a staggering fact, right? Like I've never seen this. I don't know if I'll ever see it again, but 69% of um, shareholding voted. That's a huge, huge, huge number. That's a huge voter turnout. By by number or by percentage? Percentage, yeah. yeah. I think it was even higher by number, but um, I, could, I could be wrong about that. Shareholders clearly, they're super engaged, right? So with, with the like, and even um, when, when you've got that proxy advisor, ISS, encouraging Michael Carrick to be nominated, it was always going to be, it's going to take a giant turnout from the retail shareholders to have that resolution actually not pass. And they got that turnout. So the results, this is, I think the juicy bit, right? All of the board's recommendations passed in the end. In general, the board recommended resolutions gathered about 67% support. You can see the impact of the proxy advisor on the votes against John Clark and for Michael Carrick, where it gets a bit narrower than that. And there, there was one dicey one though, wasn't there? The um, the REM report was roughly, you know, 52, 53, yeah. four. And, Correct. You know. And there were some legitimate questions from shareholders about the REM report that related to historic remuneration and cash bonuses. The, the big takeaways for me from all of this um, – Jensen, is that the make Monono great again, the MMGA campaign failed. And that's not without a lack of financial firepower behind that campaign. I mean, we're talking Martin Bennett, Scott Gibson, you know, proxy solicitation firms, media, all of that is not cheap at all. That'd be bloody (laughs) a lot of, that's be nearly seven figures. Seven (laughs) figures, wouldn't it? I don't know. Who who knows? But it wouldn't Uh, be, wouldn't be cheap. Not cheap. Absolutely not cheap. And, and so, like, why why did the Make Monono Great Again campaign fail, right? I'll tell you why I think they failed here. I think it's not because they didn't have some valid points. Some of the points were actually valid points. It's because they failed to convince the AVZ shareholders that they had their best interests in mind. There was a narrative that formed really early on once the Make Monono Great Again campaign emerged and that narrative consistently linked Fat Tail to uh, Chinese entities. And... Fat tail 
um, the, the fat tail and the nominees, they could they could never shake that narrative. Shareholders didn't believe them that they were on their side, and that was evidenced in that vote there. And it was, it's it's really noteworthy, like the the retail component here. This is, I think we'd seen twenty one thousand shareholders in this stock, which is a huge amount, and it's just dominated by retail in comparison to uh, a company that would have, you know, been two point six billion mm-hmm. when it went into halt as well. So you really had to win win over the people to have any hope, right? Big time. It's like, it's not an activist campaign where you actually just have to influence the proxy advisors to win. You had to bring the retail shareholders along with you. And I think that's the big lesson for shareholder activism here. To have shareholders on your side in an activist campaign, it's got to be genuinely grassroots, especially when you have an incredibly active retail base like AVZ does. Activism falls flat if those retail holders don't believe you're on their side. In fact, they'll turn up in spades to fight against you, like I saw yesterday. And we learnt an awesome new word along the way. <laughs> we're, all, we're all the wiser for this one. What is it, Trav? This is a brilliant word for the <laughs> phenomenon where uh, a campaign is dressed up to appear grassroots, but really it isn't. It's called astroturfing. <laughs> there you go. And I think I think the vote result shows clearly that the AVZ shareholders thought like Minona Great Again was astroturfing. I'll finish with this pretty funny picture I saw on Twitter from uh, one of the AVZ shareholder contingent. Uh, so the the the, um, the statement is: Guess who's left? Guess who's left the building? The only one smiling is the solicitor, who will get paid regardless. <laughs> and you can you can see walking together there. You've got Michael Carrick, um, you've got Peter Hewlett, you've got what I think is Ty Luddick as well. And then the only one smiling there is Scotty Gibson. Of Scotty, Scotty's Thompson got a Greer. real smiley sort of face. <laughs> I've, I've, I've met him once, and he's just a real happy looking character. <laughs> so yeah, he might have been upset on the inside, but I don't know. That's the type of guy he is. Uh, yeah, so awesome what, work, Trav, Trav, can, you, can you sum up quickly what this fat tail were proposing to do in contrast to the AVZ incumbent board that was different? I'm going to go down a, a rabbit hole that I think we'll have to save for a later day if I go there, but um, I think I think we'll keep it to just the AGM. But I think I think there's um, yeah. Lessons to be had in in engaging with shareholders, shareholder activism, and and the likes. And I think, you know, in due course, like we'll tell the full AVZ story about all of the interests and all that sort of stuff. Oh god, that's going to be a week worth of episodes. <laughs> that one, but it's a it's pre- it's pretty interesting. It highlights that the shareholders must be pretty confident in based on that vote that the incumbent board are the ones that are going to get their money back to get it trading again. Well, yeah, the best of two options. Yeah, there. Yeah. Or a few options given a few people put themselves up. But Yeah. I, I don't know. I can I don't I don't have good insight on whether the board's strategy is the right one or not. And sometimes when you're a shareholder you kind of feel wedded to the decision you've already made. And um, but I do think like another takeaway I had going to this um, AGM is like a lot of the AVZ shareholders, like we've only engaged with them on social media and you you kind of in the, I had a, I had a preconception in my mind that a lot of these AVZ shareholders were a bit cultish and they, you know, like they were just kind of blinded and all that sort of stuff. But going to the AGM, they're actually quite sensible and grounded and rational people who um, have done a lot more homework than I have on the story. And yes, they've got an incentive because you know, but they just sounded a lot more logical than I thought in um, in the lead up. So did I'll, you chat to many shareholders? Yeah. yeah, yeah, a couple. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
Gosh, should we get in a couple other oh, votes? We, we should, JD. We should. We should, mate. Remuneration so, reports. Yeah, we're going to talk about the ones that have been voted down. So as a Not quick, that it really means anything. Yet. Yeah, well, as a, as a quick reminder, you need 25% voting against to get your first strike, but nothing ultimately happens. So if that happens two years in a row, you it leads to a, a spill ultimately, and that's essentially a, another vote to see what happens with the board. So they vote they vote on whether there's a board spill after their two strikes. Yep. doesn't automatically spill the board. Or do they? No. Yeah, there's yeah, a vote on vote, a spill. They vote they yeah. vote on the spill. Yeah, yeah. and we've got yeah. an example of that coming up. So we'll start with Fortescue. 52% of shareholders voted against the adoption of the REM report. So that's strike one for Fortescue. So after, if they like don't get a strike next year, then it resets. Correct. It's going to be two right. consecutive years, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Poseidon, 79% voted against the REM report. That and, one that, was... and, that's, and that's after, remember, Peter Harold stepped down to non-executive director and cut his wage. Well, he took in a big wage, then stepped aside. Then stepped aside, yeah. Yep. It's the second consecutive year for, for Poseidon, so it triggered a, a board spill vote, which they narrowly avoided. Yeah, yep. wow. Whitehaven, we've spoken about them in the past, 40% against them, so that's a strike. There was um, obviously a bit of a, an activist campaign on on that specific um, resolution of their AGM, but it is the second in three years that they've had their REM, um, their REM resolution voted against, but not in consecutive years, so it doesn't trigger a spill vote. There's some interesting things going on with the takeovers panel ruling on Bell Rock's undisclosed derivatives position yeah, in, there in is. Whitehaven, um, Cole, which we'll save that for a future episode, but we're, we're following that one too. And AVZ, as we touched on, 46, roughly, or maybe a touch over 46% voted against, so that's a that's a strike for them. Yep. On the, uh, the broader theme of, you know, these votings, individuals getting out there and voting, I reckon we should make the, the call out for the money miners to go out and vote, you know, or get online. You can do it. It's pretty late in this AGM season, but we talk all the time about incentives here. And if there's one thing you're going to do all year regarding a stock, you've put your hard-earned money in, go and vote because you get to see what the management are all about. You get to sort of size them up and you can see, importantly, what their incentives are. You can, you know, read through the, the notice of meeting, see what's being voted on, see how the, the short-term and the long-term incentives are structured and you get a much better feeling for where you're putting your hard-earned money. So I think it's well worth your time to go and do that. And you can talk to the management while you're there. That's it you can talk to the board. To yeah. The board normally the you never manage- get a chance to, but you yeah. can bloody talk to them. Exactly. And you can get a, you can, a scone you can have a and a blend, coffee as well. Blend 43 <laughs> and a bloody savoury biscuit. <laughs> but, um, but you get to actually talk to them. Yeah. So, and Super there's no important such thing, thing as a dumb question there. Yeah. It's it's like a really great function of corporate Australia is the ability to rock up in person, ask questions and advocate for, you know, what you think should be a fairer um, run business at an AGM. Just go to one. You'll be you'll be actually surprised. Don't don't be intimidated by it and think there's any stupid questions because there's a lot of stupid people on boards as well. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> don't be threatened. And you if you actually walk out feeling pretty smart, absolutely. And if you're invested in a company that's that's trying to turn it all online, be seriously concerned because these things need to happen both online and face to face. One more thing, while we're um, in the tail end of AGM season, there's still a week left of these, so. If, if you see any really interesting resolutions, send them through to us. We'll do a wrap-up when AGMs are all over. We're particularly interested in, um, I reckon, three things. One being a big percentage of shareholders voting against board-recommended resolutions. Think, you know, um, big termination rights packages getting pushed through, which would invest in a change of control. 
um, stuff like that. We're also interested in board spills and we're also interested in any coincidental uh, resignations from directors in the week prior to the AGM mm. where they were up for re-election. So pay attention to the governance of your stocks and, mm. and send in anything that looks interesting to us and we'll, we'll, we'll probably include it. Yeah, we saw well, we saw quickly, we, saw, we did say a few, there was a few termination benefits voted yesterday on the back of performance rights that were issued, which obviously protects the holders of those if there's a change of control or a merger or a takeover or um, they get sacked. Yeah, develop Westgold heap in uh, DeGray, wasn't there, for all yeah. the directors? Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. Guys, should we talk about some critical raw materials legislation? Let's, yeah, let's oh, do it, mate. Fuck, JD. This is all you. Strap, strap yourself in. Oh, mate, talk about <laughs> pumped up. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. And if there's any ionic rare earths holders out there, this one will be of interest to you as well. All so, right, JD, knock me socks off, cobber. So – We've spoken about, you know, we spoke most importantly with Rusty from Nero about the EU benchmarks as it relates to this Critical Raw Materials Act. And the EU has slowly been getting their act together and starting to, you know, get this thing closer to being voted on. So in two weeks' time, it's going to be voted on. So we're talking about things like streamlining permitting, editing the critical minerals list, and, you know, importantly, assessing how much mining is going to be done from within the EU, how much processing and how much recycling. So... When we spoke with Rusty, they had in the EU the target of 10% of mining to be done within the EU, 40% of processing, and 15% of recycling. That is of the EU's consumption so that, is that by 2030. 10% of the material has to have been mined in the EU, is that what yeah, you're saying? That they consume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's changed here is that that 15% of recycling of their consumed material has to be lifted to 25%. So that's, you know, not an insignificant number. The permitting, this is also another one which I think would be pretty cool in Australia. They are capping the time frame for permitting a mining project at 27 months. It's still a, a relatively long period of time, but the idea of having a cap in place for how long the permitting process lasts is a pretty cool concept. So that's saying if the government are piss farting around, come the 27-month mark, it just gets approved? Well, it's not been voted on yet, but yeah. an answer needs to be, you know, given back to the company within 27 months. That makes such a big difference for financing because yes. an answer has to be given. Yeah. 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 It, it just like you, all of a sudden as a financier, you can have way more like certainty that you're going to get, you know, your, your timeliness to cash flow is, is um, so much more predictable. That makes a huge, huge difference yeah. to financing. And on processing facilities and recycling projects, that's kept at 15 months, so one year shorter. They've also put an interesting measure in. They want to cap the max percentage that any of a particular strategic raw material can come from any one country, and that's at 65%. So you can't have more than 65% of whatever, say vanadium coming from one country outside of the EU. And that's just to diversify their supply. So like I said, this is- that, is, is that limiting like can't have 65% of the graphite coming out of China? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how this sort of relates to Ionic, they've obviously got their Uganda project, but they've also got a recycling plant in Belfast. And that's uh, going to get a big tailwind from these sorts of bits of legislation. So they want to run that- 24-7 by January of next year. So that's that's pretty soon. And they've received some government support in the past. It's only a small operation and demand for rare earth magnet materials isn't that great from within the EU at the moment anyway. But they'll be hoping 
that grows along with, you know, the, the scale of their operation. So all that said, the act is a pretty good sign for them for that, you know, secondary part to their Ugandan project. Oh, mate, that was actually pretty bloody interesting, JD. <laughs> Fucking sensational, I'll try to mate. make it interesting Cheers. for you, mate. Cheers for that, mate. I really enjoyed that as a as a money miner. Yeah, Speaking of things say. you're interested in. Oh, mate. So tell you what, it's <laughs> the Bald Hill. Everyone's been wanting to know what the price tag was on it. We've got it here. We do. Um, and, and you wouldn't a, have found it a, from Minres. No, nah, and it's a bit it's under immaterial. the <laughs> bit under the that's exactly what he said. It's immaterial. Yeah. And uh it's a bit well under the billion bucks that Elita shareholders thought it was worth. Yeah, well well <laughs> under the billion bucks. So they paid two hundred and sixty million all in. So it's essentially a hundred million dollar sale price. Another 86 from Ch- that's going to go to Chinese groups, Ostroid, who actually tried to take it out before Fur blocked them, and Yihi, who are the offtake partner, as well as them paying for uh, Lita's secured debt. That was a total of $74 million. So the transaction's now complete. Mate, did the um did the Elita shareholders make any any other noise about this? So, like you said, Maddie, they were they were lobbying for a price closer to one billion than uh, mm. what they ended up getting, two hundred and sixty million. So, as you'd expect, they're they're not awfully chuffed by it. the The word was that there was over ten bidders for this thing, and the obvious question is why was there not a competitive bidding process in place? So, as you'd expect, that narrative was most vocally pushed by the Elita shareholders, but. You know, Minres didn't even really give an announcement on this. It's hard to find stuff from Alita or Alliance Minerals, as it used to be called, now that they've been delisted from the Singapore Stock Exchange. So just in general, good information is pretty hard to come by, but I'm sure there's plenty of Alita shareholders that aren't awfully chuffed out there. Benefits of being a big company. Jeez, the amount of shit that becomes immaterial, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So why don't we get into Bald Hill, the, the asset itself? There's all this fuss over it, but in terms of you know, how it stacks up against other WA hard rock mines. Yeah, the only, you want to know the difference? It's got a bloody mill. That's the only, <laughs> the That's only difference. And it's had this big status about it just because it's got a mill, but the spodge means pretty shit. I think that the other important thing about Bald Hill is that off-take contract as well, which this I think it's still ambiguous whether that off-take contract it's will, a, will That's stay a juicy one. one, yeah. So to, to your point, Matt, it's, it's not been, ref, you know, thought of as a, a great asset and hence it went into receivership in 2019 because it just wasn't operating profitably at the time. Not to say if you, you know, perhaps ramp up production, you can get it operating profitably in in the future. So if you look at the uh, the quarterly for the, the June quarter in 2019, the numbers were 39,000 wet metric tonnes produced of lithium con at 6.2%. The mined grade averaged 0.8%, which is not great to your point, Maddie, recoveries were 67% and cash costs were 770 per ton. So that's 770 in 2019. You'd expect that as inflated a fair bit. Yeah. So the grade, the mine grades considerably lower than all the all the peers. Yeah, that but are well that, above one percent. That grade wasn't reflective of what the actual reserve was. That's just what they'd been mining. So the strip ratio was still coming down. That was in the relatively early stages of the mine. And if you had expanded it the operation, you'd expect the unit cost to come down mm. over time as well. So we'll see in future what Minres start reporting, what the actual costs look like at the operation. There's a red flag at point out as well. If you look at the old Alita slash Alliance Minerals reports from the, the March quarter and the June quarter in 2019, they're pretty cagey on costs. If you just look on the surface, you think, hey, they're making a 30 plus percent margin. And then you get into the actual cash flows and they're losing a lot of money. So 
just a warning for all investors out there, look at, you know, where, what the actual cash position is looking like, especially in that phase of ramp up because it's, you know, vital when you're paying down debt and all these other things. So it looks like if they were producing at 770 bucks a tonne in 2019, and as you mentioned, the inflationary pressures, it sounds like it needs a lot more scale to it to really, because, yeah, over 100000 bucks costs at the moment are um, yeah, creeping towards the bloody price eventually. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to see what the actual numbers look like once Minres have it operating you know, at a sustainable rate. But Ellison did say not too long ago that he thinks within 12 months they can scale it up from 150,000 tonnes per annum to 300,000 tonnes per annum. So that should have a pretty material impact. On the mill, that sits at 1.2 million tonnes per annum at the moment. So you'd expect them to scale that up to... And Trav, you mentioned the the offtake agreement with Yeehee just before. That was a pretty controversial one. The, the gist of it was that the former owners were selling the lithium very cheaply to related parties. That was the accusation in China. And that was to avoid the, the standard 5% royalties that the Australian government or the WA government puts on these sorts of operations. So that still remains in place and we'll see how that sort of plays out and whether that ultimately just falls by the wayside. I think it's um, it's phenomenal business when you look at it, how they've, they've picked this uh, operation up for what you'd say pretty cheap, I think. You would say that. that. It's immaterial, so they haven't had to announce it. They get to expand it using all their in-house capability mm. to put extra crushing and everything in extra, well, whether it's flotation or not, but does it all in-house without any external providers. Um, yeah, you can uh-huh. tell it's – you can say what the business is all about, the it, position they put themselves in. And it's an asset with regional synergies. Compare that to um, – remember the independent expert valuation of Mount Catlin, which we we, put, we looked into I think last week, and it, that was like US $590 million plus another 50 exploration upside is what – independent expert had valued Mount Catlin at, which doesn't really have regional synergies with other stuff. So um, appears appears a cheap acquisition on just on yeah. that. Yeah, we'll that see. Rub, we'll see how it all color. how it all fits in in future. Just on the the point of Minres not making a comment on it, they did put out an announcement and they did speak about things like the the royalty, but the on the costing and the that was immaterial. Where they say where does the where does it go? Like the do, will it. It's not a – where does it go in the balance sheet? Like the the acquisition – is the acquisition cost for it? Is it a – it won't be its own line item. It gets put into all capital expenditure for MinRes. Like the, where does it go? Well, on the balance sheet, you just see a reduction in cash from MinRes as that goes out the door. And then depending on how the, the asset comes in, perhaps PP&E would go up for, for the mill, whatever they value – that component at, and then the asset being the Bald Hill mine itself that would fall into its own spot along with, you know, the, the mines at Wajina and those things and how they uh, put them on the balance sheet normally there. So can you see on the balance – will you be able to see on the cash flow statement? Not specifically, no. Because no. it's all in with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And we won't get an update on that for quite a while given the time of year we're in now. Yeah. By the time we see the, the balance sheet again, it'll be – a bit in the future. Yeah, probably bought two or three other things by then, <laughs> so it'll be all mashed in together. That's oh. it. One other thing to uh, comment on, we spoke last week about the the situation with First Quantum and Cobre <laughs> Panama, one of the biggest copper mines in the world. So I just wanted to chuck in a quick comment on this one. We said at the time that First Quantum was still producing. That's now stopped. So the, the protesters have 
used boats to block the port that gets the, the copper out and the, you know, all the deliverables into the mine. So nothing is coming out there anymore. That's 1.5% of the world's copper supply. So that's wow. pretty, pretty significant. The Panama, the Panamanian Supreme Court is meeting today and they're going to start deliberating on the contract that First Quantum were awarded. And there was another interesting quote that they saw regarding the unions. The unions that, you know, represent the mine workers have said that they want the mining, the mining to start again and go ahead. So it's just interesting. It's just really hard to get a read on the, the social situation in, in Panama. But you can see, obviously, there's a lot of different opinions about what should be happening and what shouldn't be happening. So it's one we're just going to keep following. Love your work, JD. Right. Boys, next next week and the, the weeks leading up to our cessation of podcasting for a month, I think we're going to mix it up a bit, eh? Got a couple of interviews coming up next well, week. We've got a couple of interviews. Yeah, we've got bloody uh, – we've got Mr. Lithium coming back on for another yarn. We do. That should we're be We're going to go balls deep brine. into lithium bar rock. Yeah. <laughs> like X hard rock. No rock lithium, <laughs> which is everything else. Yeah. It'd be Which super fun. We be... can talk about Exxon's deal. We can talk about everything going on in South mm. America. Uh, we've got – I reckon I'm going to do – now, money miners, get in touch, but don't make them too fucking hard. I want to do – want to talk about some operations that we never talk about that are massive in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Mount yeah. Holland. Mount Holland. Oh, yeah. Uh, Boddington. Mm. Newmont's Cali, which is Tanami. Like – I think that's 700,000 ounces. It never gets talked about because it's – no, well, Katie is – it's ones that don't get talked about because they're either listed somewhere else right. or just they don't really get the line night. Like Mount Holland because it's under the West Farmers banner. Just, we never talk about iron ore either. Iron ore. Oh, that's Jesus a good point. Let's look at – yeah, let's look at – Let um, me just start on the underground mines <laughs> to, and then we'll get maybe an iron ore expert, expert in. We should look at Roy It's all Hill. the same, just there's Roy like Hill three or four more zeros at the end of every single yeah, number. Yeah. You know what would be a good one? Follow up the road from me. works at the <laughs> Rio um, Control Centre. Yeah. At, right. um, it'd be, that'd be a good insight too to get into the how the, the trains and shipping and logistics and blends yeah. and everything work. Yeah, it's um, all economies of scale up there. I've had drunk chats with him <laughs> that I don't remember, so it'd be better to – yeah. Oh, mate. Get him and then we get Gina on and yeah. it'll all be happening. I sent a message to Hancock yesterday. Going to come put a, put I a call. Do you want to know the wording? <laughs> it was yet? like, Oi, what do you reckon about the biggest mining media agency in the world <laughs> and Gina Reinhart having an off the record yarn? I might Give well us a that, buzz. I might as well put that in the calendar already. Mate, then, I mate. think it's pretty much locked in and I think my accent was attached to it. Let me know when you head back. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> Get in touch, Hancock. All righty, we've got a couple of sponsors. Oh, mate, JD, I reckon you laid it away. I like it when you do it. Got DCI Underground, Terra Capital. Uh, that's not their name, JD. DSI. DSI. I say. DCI. DCI. There might be a DCI. It might be a competitor. You know how the rating goes. DSI Underground, Terra Capital, McMahon Mining Title Services, Future Proof Consulting, Anytime Exploration Services, KCA Site Services, JP Search, Brooks Airways, and K Drill. Oh, love it, boys. Have a good weekend, Money Miners. Hootaroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.